This episode of the Do North Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Aquarius Home Services, installers of Connecticut water treatment systems, plumbing, heating, and cooling. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Do North Outdoors podcast. I'm Natalie Dillon, joined by Travis Frank. We're your hosts. Another day in paradise here in Minnesota. The drifts keep getting larger outside our window. The winteriest winter, I think, that we've had. I'm glad that you made it here alive, and I'm glad that I'm here too. Brandon as well. We all survived the roads. Another storm is (gasps) upon us. Yes. Yeah. Every day. It's been beautiful, but yeah, it's getting a little bit much. But that's kind of one of the... I feel like... We're well into winter here, and I kind of, in certain ways, feel like it hasn't started because every day there's a new challenge to deal with. Sure. But that's kind of the the magic and the beauty of winter is we there's so many activities to do. There's so much we can do that we can choose from, but we mm. never know how much time we're going to get. I will say it's one of the prettiest winters, it is. and a lot of people have been commenting on that. But you've been looking out the window and you see everything covered in white. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It feels like you know a traditional. Narnia. Yeah, it's Narnia. It feels like a traditional winter, and we haven't seen it in a while. I do feel bad for the wild critters that have to survive in this. Um, it just, every time I drive down the road and I see deer, in bellies are dragging in the snow, and I'm like, oh, I hope you make it. I hope mm-hmm. you make it. The pheasants are out in the fields, and they're picking, and turkeys, too. They're trying to find food out there. It's not good for those animals to be out in the wide open. Predators can soar down and take out a pheasant real quickly in a wide open field. So even though they might find food out there, they might not survive because of that. Uh, so this is not a good winter for wild animals or nor, maybe that's correct pronunciation, <laughs> nor is it good for my hockey rink. Oh, <laughs> I know. Pond. I can't Ice keep it. Ice has been trash. Yes. Dang Have you been it. out at all? A little bit, but right now the weight of all the snow has kind of like sank the edges down and then it's water on top of it and it hasn't been cold enough to freeze it. And now we've got, you know, six more inches of snow soaking into that. So I'm basically going to have to let that freeze and then reflood it again. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. The, that, the those pond are... nearby us, like the, the family pond in the neighborhood that mm-hmm. hasn't been open since whatever. We had the first deep cre- freeze in like end of November. Yeah. And the, the public ones, I've gone a little bit, but it's just been, mm-hmm. been pretty trash. And there's something about winter and you know so much about this but since i have had this rink out there and i like i am an avid outdoorsman i'm not an avid indoorsman when you can't go outside your health Mm -hmm. suffers from it and so having those escapes to get that fresh air that exercise to be outside it has made just like my level of joy soar the last couple winters yeah and i need that I want to get out there. And so like this being inside in the gray and everything, it's not good. It's not healthy. I mean, there's a reason people suffer depression in the winters. And so finding your outlet, finding what you can do to stay energized, exercise and be outside the fresh air, the, the vitamin D does mm-hmm. matter in December, January, and February. Don't get me started on vitamin D. This, this is going to be, well, I just be a whole did podcast I just opened up the can. Well, You've, you've mentioned the word, you've said vitamin D, you've said escape. We're talking about health, wellness. Did I just segue into our show? I think you did. Wow. So if you are feeling like winter's dragging on you a little bit, being a little bit much, you're going to love today's episode because we are getting a jump start 
on some spring break ideas, some winter getaways, some of our favorite spots and recommendations and places that one could escape for a little bit of fresh air. And still can do this winter. That's, yes. So we, we were like, we're thinking ahead, you know, what should we do? And it doesn't make sense for us to have a, snow, a spring break getaway <laughs> in March when you're already going to be on spring break. You need time to plan. Exactly. So we're going to talk about some ideas that we think will get you outside. And give you time to do it this winter and this spring. Some of them will be a little bit farther away, uh, more planning, warm weather, and some ideas for those that want to stay a little bit more. Yeah, you challenged me to bring a few ideas, so I did that. And I think you have some as well. I'm excited to hear yours. Mine are going to be amazing, of course, but I'm excited to hear yours. So much pressure. Yeah, Brand, do you bring anything to the table today? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Turning his mic back (laughs) on. But I can always chime in if you need me. <laughs> you can you can rate our choices. And yeah, share oh. which one's best. Oh, there you go, Brandon. I, I want like you to. It. There it is. You've got the pencil and paper. You're going to vote on which options you think are the best. I'm in. I'll okay. do it. Cool. All right. Should I get us started? Yeah. Well, yeah. Absolutely. So our first trip of the day, and this is the one I kind of mentioned earlier. It's kind of a four parter, so I don't need to do it all in a row. But if anybody's kind of following along my stuff for the last handful of years. You probably know by now I do have a soft spot. I love winter. I love the North, but I've got a soft spot for Southern Florida this time of year. So predictable. I know. It's so, <laughs> so obvious. Well, you might as well go sit in Naples. Are you going to uh, yeah. Naples? Well, that's not one of my choices, but okay. I will be there in a few weeks. I'm not going to lie. Oh my but um, no, there, there's so much to do in South Florida when it comes to outdoors, when it comes to fishing. I think that there's almost no better place. And there's a lot, you know, some of what I'll talk about today will be familiar to people, but that's actually, I think one of the beauties of it, you don't need to go. I mean, it's, it's a hike from where we are in Minnesota, but you know, it's right in the U S very easy to get to tons of flights, pretty familiar. And there's just so much to do down there. It's a paradise. So I think a lot of, a lot of my friends that are like very active when they go on these trips, sometimes they say, I can only sit on a beach for like one day and then I need to do something. So do any of these apply to these people? They all do. Yeah. There's no, there's no beaches in my list of recommendations. When I go to Florida, I think I maybe go to the beach for about an hour in a, in a week long trip. But so I will talk about, you know, we can talk about a few different places, but I want to start off with talking about flats fishing in the Florida Keys, which is kind of the pinnacle for a lot of people. And that's something that I did for the first time when I was pretty new into fishing. I was maybe like eight or nine years ago, and I had fished a season or two up north and got to go on some guided flats fishing, um, both out of Key Largo and Isle Morada. Mm. And that is something that I highly recommend. It's definitely a bit of an investment, but something that avid anglers, families, you name it, everybody can get a lot of enjoyment about. And for me, have you been on the, have you done like some flats fishing, Travis? No, I've. I've fished down in Southern Florida, but I haven't gotten out on the flats like you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So in my experience, I'm of course no expert with it, but it's one of the coolest ways to get connected with nature when you're out there. So I've done both tarpon fishing and bone fishing. So on the same (sighs) day. Tarpon is number one on my bucket list. Have you never fished for him? No. It's it's literally the one thing that I want to do. I want to catch a tarpon on a topwater lure because I'm so into muskies, you know, the strike. I've seen it done. That's one day I will do that. Yeah. Anyway, well, we going. can, I might actually switch around and jump to something a little bit different, but that's similar. Cause you mentioned musky fishing. So there's, there's two times that I've fished for or two different areas that I've fished for tarpon down in Florida. 
first is flats fishing for them. And second is actually up in uh, Marco Island. So not in the Keys, if you're not familiar, on the other side of the state. Um, and that there's some guys that are Minnesota guys that fish for tarpon near Marco Island like you're targeting muskies. So actually with Baitmasters. Jason yeah, Hammernick? Yeah. And yeah. then the guy that I went with is Captain John Siebold. Okay. Um, but they go out of the same area, and that is an experience to remember. So I had fished for tarpon a couple times before going out with uh, John Siebold, but he literally handed me a musky rod with a bait caster on it and a swim bait just with the hooks chain switched out for, you know, uh, saltwater circle hooks. And we were literally casting for tarpon like you would be for a muskie. I even figured out Why did they switch a, a circle hook on it? I think safety for the fish. Okay. Well, you want um, saltwater hooks so that they don't get beat up, you know, by the saltwater. Yeah, but you said circle hook, so I was just curious. If I that's think a just th safety for the fish. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Um, but along with that, I'll say, so casting for tarpon... If you're not familiar, they're called the Silver Kings. Oh. They get really bow big. I mean, the they're, they're small ones, yes. too. Exactly. Yeah, and people say bow to the king. They're known for their aerial, just acrobatics. So if you've you know, seen videos or done it yourself, you know that they like to jump. They do these crazy out-of-the-water head shakes. And you say bow to the king because you actually want to give them uh, some slack. Basically, move your rod towards the fish so that they don't shake the hook when they do jump out of the water. But... When you, I remember jumping, you know, my first tarpon like it was yesterday and I couldn't believe it how powerful they were. Um, so yeah, doing it on musky gear was pretty cool, but I have to say, since it was a circle hook, you're not supposed to set the hook mm -hmm. and I could not get over that. So I missed a bunch right at the beginning because I, I was that. every single time. That's why I was wondering up. the circle hook. That's why I, I asked you. Yeah. It seems, you know, with if, if it's a different presentation, but like. A swim bait, you're working that thing. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. But I think because, you know, the circle hooks, they slide yeah. out. So they're going to get usually the fish like right in the corner of the mouth. So easy to take out. Probably that's another thing, too, is you want it to be, especially with those big, powerful tarp, tarp and you want to be able to get them so off the hook. So you're right using conventional boat. gear, bait caster. You're not yeah. doing a fly rod here. Yeah. So that's on my bucket list, of course. But I need a lot more practice before that. A lot of people who are big anglers, they're going to say when you're doing bonefish, when you're doing tarpon, you got to do it on the fly. Mm -hmm. So but I can tell you from first hand experience, conventional works, too. And I've caught plenty of both on live bait, too. Um, so I can say that if you have the chance to actually get hooked up with a tarpon, jump it a bunch of times. Yeah, I'm hooked. I, it's, like, I'm on a, give it a go. Whether right, it's put that number one on the list. You've already <laughs> won. It's, it's already been number one on my list. So. Dang it. Yeah. So out of Marco Island, Hammernick, Captain John Siebold, um, just have had a ton of fun with them. And then in the, the flats, actually, so I've done that in the Keys. Mm -hmm. So we're talking just a few feet of water. Usually a guide's going to be on, you know, on the, yep, pushing. Uh, standing up five <laughs> feet, yes, ten Travis feet Travis is demonstrating, yeah. exactly. Pushing you through, no motor on, and you're usually up on a stand at the front actually sight fishing for them. So I've done that, but with live bait. But being able to see these shadows of tarpon come in, you know, depending on the time of year, if they're migrating through, seeing their shadows, or if you're bone fishing, you're looking for actually these little plumes of mud where the bonefish actually are picking up, usually like crabs or whatever they're eating out of the, the um, sand. So getting to just sit there and watch. And sometimes you have warning and you know like a fish is in the area. Sometimes a guy is just going to shout out, you know, 10 o'clock, 30 feet out. You, you know, it's so similar it. to watching the bobber in an eight-inch ice hole. 
You just you do I not suppose. ever know when that barber's yeah. gonna go bloop. Yeah. You know, I mean the, it's the same adrenaline rush. Yeah. The adrenaline rush is for sure <laughs> it. So <laughs> But hey, no, you're on to something. Well, I was just joking I'm, about that because I, a lot of people are staring at a bobber in a hole right now. That's true. Yeah. So so if you think that that's exciting, just you wait. Just you until wait. Until well, you tarpon. Okay, so the the migration of tarpon, you know, they aren't always in one. It's not like they're just everywhere, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's certain times of the season to go down and target them. Did you base your trip on a certain time? No, mine was always based on when I could get off work. So the only time, so I'm not going to be super familiar with their seasons, but sure. the times that I've fished for them, at least open water. I've done some like backcountry fishing for them too, more like in brackish waters and they're a lot smaller fish, but um, has always been your spring breaky time. So February through, mm. I think the latest I've ever gone was May. And that's actually when I had... Um, the most luck flats fishing was like late April, I think, or early May. I was going to say, like, there's, it's a historical place, the, the Boca. Yeah. Yeah, Boca, what is it? The like Boca. Canal or, yeah. Yeah, but there's this this bridge and this pass, and it's just legendary. But that, I think, is May and June. Yeah, I think you're right. When that's really the key time to be there. So that's part of this migration. But obviously, you're talking, you know, midwinter. So yeah. it's a long enough season that you can get in on, on this action. Yeah. Yeah, I went down there trying to do it one time. It was a friend that was getting married, and we're like, oh, we're here. We got to go fish, you know? Mm-hmm. And I called this guy, and I'm like, are the tarpon in? You know, it's the first yeah. thing I ask because yeah. it's number one on my list. And he's like, no. And we ended up doing a bunch of other stuff, and he got sick, and I had to drive the boat in, and he got scared. It was the craziest, craziest mm-hmm. trip of our life. Huge storm came in. Like, he's curled up in the fetal position, lost, out to sea, and I drove the boat back in with my buddies, oh my and it was just like, holy cow. Wow. But the things you can experience and the things we saw, sharks jumping out of the waves yeah, and yeah. like, oh, it's so awesome. That's the other thing I was going to say too that I love about being on the flats is you get to see the most incredible thing. I mean, everything from turtles, different fish, but yeah, I've seen a probably an eight foot hammerhead just swimming on by and just the power that you see from them, especially when they're in shallow water. So you're pretty darn close to them. Oh, so it's, cool. Yeah. Okay, so the, um, you've done multiple tarpon fishing trips down mm-hmm. there it sounds like pick one if you go, if somebody said okay which one do i do if oh i would say can i cheat and say if you're a Brandon? up north <laughs> can she if cheat? you're a musky yeah, angler yeah well i think if you have the skill set for it go on the flats and go on the fly that that would yeah. be my answer yeah. and if you want to do you know a family trip or you're less experienced at angling or something, you know, do live bait either Marco Island or in the Keys and just get hooked up to a fish. Sweet. It's fun. Was that part one of your four-part series? That here? was one and two. Okay. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, what do you got? Well, you got... Oh, you, oh okay, so it's my turn already. I thought yeah. we were going to go through all of your parts. We, we'll come back to Florida. Don't worry. Okay, so a few years ago, I had the chance to fish... Trout on Pyramid Lake in Nevada. And I want to say it was like January, February, something Mm -hmm. like that. I think it was February. I'm pretty sure it was February. Um, They have world record Lahontan cutthroat trout in this lake. And it's... It's kind of warm weather-ish. You know, it can be a little chilly. It's it's really just like, this is a cool place to fish. And now is a good time of the year. Basically, they're seasoned down there on that particular lake. 
the hunting trout season runs from October 1st through June 30th. So this is kind of like the mm-hmm. time to do it. Cool thing is that you don't really need much to do it. Um, you can, most people, when we were there, we watched them, they were all fishing from shore. Instead of bringing a boat, a lot of them brought ladders. Oh, wow. Which was interesting because it allowed them to walk the ladder out in their waders and then stand up above and be high up, but further out than they might be able to cast with the fly. I've seen people do that in saltwater too, on flats. Yeah. Yeah. So they're standing on ladders out there. It's very interesting, but it's like one of the most visually stunning places you might ever fish because the mountains are coming out of the lake around you. And so I specifically remembered we were watching the sunrise while we're getting flies ready to cast out there. There were quail that soared past us, you know, and we caught huge, well, I think it's huge. And that would be just like a regular trout for them. Uh, 41 pounds is the record. Wow. <laughs> I'm talking. Well, like what sizes did you huge. see? Probably close to 20 pounds. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they're enormous, enormous fish. You know, and like I was up in Alaska this summer or this fall and we were, uh, we fished in the, the Kenai for rainbows and that was just like this amazing experience. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how huge these trout, the rainbows get up there. And I caught one and they were like, holy crap, half the size of this fish mm-hmm. that we saw in Pyramid Lake. It's just one of those places that it's not hard to get to. If you wanted to fly out um, into Reno, mm-hmm. it's like 45 minutes outside of Reno. And it's definitely worth the experience. Um, you know, I'm sure there's other things to do around there. We did it as basically just like a half a day as part of this filming that we were doing down there just to experience it. Once we caught the fish, got the footage we were after, we moved on. But I want to go back because yeah. it's just such a cool place. Would somebody want to book a guide or is it something that you can... I, yeah, you, yeah, you can do alone. both. And okay. I actually, I have uh, some friends when I came back from it, I told them, they're like, oh, I did that one time. Because I didn't realize how much of a, like a bucket list experience it mm-hmm. could be for some people on the fly. You know, like as a fishing guide, I had people from around the country that like a muskie on the fly was part of their 10 items on their bucket mm-hmm. list. You know, and turns out that going to this lake in Nevada was on that same list too. So if you like this kind of, uh, you know, big trophy fish on the fly, that belongs on your list. I don't think you have to do it on the fly. No live bait, no barbs. I mean, there are mm-hmm. some rules to abide by out there, but it's just this cool place. And you'll get out there and you're like, holy cow, there's nobody else around. Or like you're just driving down this highway that turns into like a gravel road. Uh-huh. You kind of just pull off to the side and people just pull off to the side randomly and you're fishing, and there's things that you'll learn, but, yeah. like, we didn't have a guide. It was just this other, this this guy that I was hunting and fishing with out there, and this was something that he loves to do. Yeah. And, yeah, super cool. Um, what does the trout look like? Like, what's its coloring like and, and whatnot? Um, I, I probably would be better to show you a picture. Mm. It's kind of hard to explain, but... Paint the picture for me. <laughs> what does a rainbow look like, okay. Natalie? <laughs> Uh, let's see. I'm going to pull it up real quick. Tap dance for me. Do, 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 do. Okay. Let me ask. Is it, it's pretty dry there. Yeah. Yeah. Desert. Yeah. Yep. This is great for podcasts. I know. Our producer's <laughs> mad at us. <laughs> I mean, like, 
it's similar to, I mean, you can see these pictures. It's very similar to a rainbow, yeah, but just okay. think of a rainbow trout. Yeah. Like on steroids, just a monster, wow. monster fish. And again, visually. I would guess you're in like South America there. Yeah, it's, I mean, if you, if you do a search for Lahontan cutthroat trout on Pyramid Lake, you will see some of the most stunning photos because the mountains are coming out of the water mm -hmm. around you and it's just spectacular. Yep. So there you go. Incredible. Part one of one. Do you want to do another one or should I go? Grant, where do you put that on your list? I'm, it's way too early in the game for me to, for me to start throwing out rankings right He's now. Taking, okay. I'll say yeah. I'm excited about that. So. All right. Yeah. I kind of sold it. I got one yeah. taker. So can we go back to Florida? <laughs> well, I guess. I mean, we I have mean, to it's, your, point, yeah. it's your show. I promise my whole list is not in Florida. Sounds but a like lot it. Of Minnesotans... I was like, is it just this is her whole list? She's no. going to break down Florida. four parts of Florida? No. Um, I'll do the second two parts of it and then okay. we can move on. How does okay. that sound? Yeah, yeah. So, um, hey, it's your show. You do what you yeah, got to do. Thanks, here. Travis. Yeah. So a little bit different way to experience Florida Everglades National Park. Specifically, Ooh. there's an area called Flamingo that I fished in. So we're talking now backcountry fishing. So this, if you've been in Florida, if you've seen the mangroves, the forests that are growing right out of the salt water, tangled mangroves. So the fishing actually back in there can be very exciting. And I'll say I've fished it, I think pretty much all the ways. So little flats boats, uh, canoe, kayak, and wading. And I'll offer something different. Wading is especially exciting because- Gators. Gators. <laughs> so don't do that alone. Um, I was thankfully always down there with friends that kind of knew what to look out for and what to do. Um, but back there, different type of tarpon fishing and also the snook. And I'll say snook is another one of those bucket list fish. I think I probably fished for them. I'd have to go back and like look at my travel notes and stuff, probably three or four or more times before I actually caught my first one. And it was partly just, I think like bad luck. I caught, a, do you know cichlids down in Florida? A what? Cichlids. It's just little fish that they're pretty Paint easy the to picture, catch. Natalie. They come in all different colors. It's just, a, they're not naturally there. I think they're from South America, but they ended up there. Okay. Um, but yeah, I seem to catch a bunch of those instead of snook. But snook is another fish that is shocking how, how they're good of fighters they are. Uh, Saltwater like, fish in general, the yeah. powers. Oh, if you've never fought a saltwater fish, like it blows your mind. You set the exactly. hook and you're like, it's 200 pounds. It's yeah, got to be 200 exactly. pounds. And you get it up and it's a 12 it's inch. And you're like, thing. what? Exactly. And snook, they're, I mean, they're beautiful fish, but they don't look like, they look friendly. They're just, you know, nicely light color, a little stripe down them. They look like, like a sweet Nemo? little fish, like a little, yeah, yeah different, friendly. but yeah. friendly little fish. And yep. they fight angry. And it's fun because when you're fishing for them, they're usually going to be really tight up in the mangroves. So... You got to practice your casting. Usually, so if you're a good largemouth bass fisherman up here, yeah, yep, for sure, it translates. Yeah, so doing that, it's something like you. I know that there's guides that do it, but it's also if you just go with uh, really like a, a bass setup, swim bait, chuck it up in the mangroves. You'll catch other things like mangrove snappers and things like that. But when you get on a snook, it's fun, and that's good really year round, and yeah. definitely this type, of, this time of year. So. Where does that one fit on your list, Brandon? I mean, you're you're gonna you're gonna ask every after every I'm one. Gonna, we're, yeah, we're gonna yeah. take a minute to figure this out. That'll be I'm, how we, that'll be how we transition. I'm jotting down notes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Are you excited I'm about snook fishing in the backcountry? Well, I'm still so much. I mean, like, yeah, I can envision 
just you know the branches draping over yeah. and just that scene i've seen so many times it's definitely something that i think would be cool yeah i am still i if i were making this list i still have tarpon up on top yeah. i can't argue with you there yeah yeah uh but, <laughs> I led but super strong. cool i led strong yeah it's super cool though i mean yeah if you have options then for sure last i'll say okay then we'll get out of florida so if you ever are in miami for like a couple days or whatever you're on a trip there you gotta lay over there it, okay. Have you seen the peacock bass fishing in Miami? I was going to ask if peacock. Yeah, it's on the list. Okay. So for those of you that are unfamiliar, peacock bass, well, they're from the Amazon originally stocked in Miami. I think in like the eighties, don't back check me on it. Um, but now they're in basically every roadside canal and ditch and pond golf courses. They are everywhere. They are a exotic fish. I think Brandon just pulled up a picture Brightly colored, yeah. red and orange and green. It's kind of like a perch color. Yeah, very on, much. On a bass. Yeah. Yep. And when we're talking about strong fighting fish, I say it fights a lot like a smallmouth, like okay. very feisty and squirrely, but pound how, for pound. How big? Because I know down in the Amazon they get huge. Yeah, not in as Florida, big. In Florida, what are we talking I mean, I probably caught like six or seven pounders would be the maximum, but often about like the bass that we'd get here a little bit bigger. Um, but they do get, uh, I think it's the males. They get the big like crown forehead. So they're, when she did this, I envisioned like 60 pounds. I wish we had (laughs) this video right now. She's holding her hands up. There are some huge ones. That's out of Florida. So there are some big ones of that. I would guess that's a 12 to 15 pound fish. I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They get, they get sizable, yeah. but even when you catch, like we were saying earlier, if you catch a two, three pounder, they're so feisty and seeing that flash of color in the water. And it's hilarious. Cause you can literally be, I, I've actually done this just like on the roadside. Like you have to time your casting with the cars going by and then you pull up these just like amazing Amazonian. That's so cool. That's tanks. why I will never travel anymore without the pocket rod. fishing pole. My wife finally got one for me because I've complained so many times about being somewhere where I could have caught a fish yeah. and I didn't have a fishing pole. And now it's like, nope, I'm never going anywhere. Even if there's not water in the itinerary, anywhere that mm-hmm. I can see, I'm putting it in my bag because you just never know what you could pull over on the side of the road and catch something awesome. You've learned your lesson. I have it's learned true. many lessons. And there's something so fun about that when you're just like somewhere new and you just try it out. And when, mm-hmm. then when you do catch something or catch something exciting, it means so much more. Also, it's kind of nice. Most states allow you to just go on your phone and buy a license right there on the spot. So you don't have to then, if you're like, holy cow, I want to catch something here. There's something jumping on the water that looks huge and awesome and fun. Let me just do a quick search. One day fishing license, $17. Boom. You got it. I don't know. I just made that number up. But that, you know, typically for a one day fishing license, it's not two arms and four legs. But yeah. Yeah. So like lastly about this, there's definitely times that when I've been down in Florida, I've, you know, gone out with guides and done full day things and these epic adventures. And then there's also so many opportunities too. like we said, just fish any body of water that you see. You don't need a ton of equipment. You don't need Mm -hmm. a ton of planning and you can run. I've done an entire trip down there just shore fishing and caught a dozen different species of fish and had a ton of fun. So what's the most, um, like I'm trying to think of some of the mackerel. Holy mackerel! Yeah. Like all the mackerel I've caught yeah. from shore down in Florida before. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, yeah, they're fun fish to catch. Snappers. Yep. Oh, okay. My favorite because yeah. I've caught the most of it because they're super easy to fetch uh, to catch. But do you know what a grunt is? 
A grunt? A grunt. You'll find him just on like any like dock so, or whatever. That was saltwater. so Minnesotan of you too, by the way. Oh, oh, it's oh, my favorite. Oh, by the way. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Those Florida grunts. Yeah. So a cute little fish. Great to, you know, if you're fishing with kids or whatever with, you know, live shrimp or something off the shore, off docks, piers, whatever. Grunt. I think that there might be another name for them too, but that's what most people call them. They're little blue and yellow striped fish with a red mouth. And they actually grunt like a little pig when you Seriously? pick them out of the water. Yeah. I'm I'm searching squeeze. this now too. There's grunt. there's a few sometimes even like snappers and stuff will make a little grunting sound. But if you're down in, I'm sure there are many places, but for sure all over Florida with kids just fishing off the off a dock, huh. live bait. You will it's kind of like a silver bluegill almost, but longer. What picture are you looking at? I don't know. I I googled. Well, first I googled grunt. Yeah. And I didn't get fish, so then the, I added fish. The smaller now, ones are a little more blue and yellow. Uh, that there's no blue there. You sure you caught grunts? No, I'm positive. I am. She was catching shiners, Brandon. Yeah. I see some blue and some some. You grunts. see some. Blue there's a, there. there's a lot of. I'll grunts. pull up a picture. There's All a right. lot of grunts. But for now. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for coming to Florida with me. Write <laughs> <laughs> down Grant on your list, Brandon. Here we go. And my turn? Takes the cake. You're up. Okay. So we've done a lot of fishing. Hunting is still doable this time of the year. We're heading to Arizona. Mm. And I have been asked many times because we host uh, Upland Bird Hunting TV show as well. If you could only go one place, where would you go? And Arizona is very high on the list. There's a couple of other places as well. But we're talking winter getaways here. So Arizona is a lot warmer, typically, than Minnesota in January and February. Yes. Their quail hunting season runs through, uh, this year would be February 12th, but it's usually kind of right mid-February. So there's still time this year. But if this is something to do for next year, it's something you can plan on. Um, I will say that, you know, they get these monsoon seasons that really dictate the, like, numbers of quail down there. They have been getting good moisture, which bodes well for not only this season, but next season as well. Right now, their uh, quail numbers are phenomenal. I have friends that have been down there that I've talked to in the last couple days, and it's been the best quail hunting that they've ever experienced down there. Arizona has millions of acres of publicly accessible lands, which mean that you can drive down there with your dog and get out and hunt. And you can use an Onyx map and it'll, you know, the app on your phone, and it'll show you exactly where the boundaries are, where you can go. Most of the time, you're going to get on a spot that you could walk for days and days and days and days and days and never reach the end of it. That's how vast it is. I've, I've hunted down there twice for quail. Is there a place you recommend flying into or? Yeah. So I'm going to get into, there's okay. three different species of quail that live in Arizona. Gamble's quail, scaled quail, and Mern's quail. Uh, all three of those species live in different habitats, which make that hunt really cool. Some people on their list of, you know, like they put it on their bucket list for bird hunting. It's the Arizona slam. And that would be to get all three of them in a trip. Even more of an accomplishment for some people would be to do it all in one day. Some people can do it, but it requires you to be in different places. Um, Mern's quail, we'll start there. They live in the very southern part of Arizona, and they live in the mountains. And they live 
in some of the most beautiful country that you will ever walk. Like, it is stunning. The grasses in those mountains in southern Arizona are golden like it came out of a catalog. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it is so stunning. Then there are what they call live oaks. And they're like a, a stubby oak tree, basically, down there. And that's where these quail with these big claws, they go digging for tubers mm -hmm. under these oak trees. Um, they are covey bird, which means that they all stay together. And they hold very tight. So if you have a dog that points birds and the dog finds them and goes on point, when you walk up there, the explosion is unexplainable. There could be 20 birds exploding out of like the inside of your tire that like, wow. or put your arms in a circle and have 20 birds come up that way. And they Why all do they huddle way. up so much? They're, that's their like it's protection. That's their protection. Yeah, exactly. At night, they all, cold. they all back into each other and they're all facing out. Uh, they stay together. It can get cold. Okay. I've hunted down there in the snow before, believe it or not. One time it followed me down and I, we, couldn't say where we were supposed to go because it snowed and it dropped to like 28 degrees and the pipes froze on the building and they were like, we got to close. Oh, so we had to find a different place to stay. So it is possible. Okay. But last year when I was down there, it was 70 degrees. We were in a t-shirt hunting. Um, Gamble's quail are the most iconic quail in Arizona. They're the like state bird almost. If you're on a golf course in Arizona, you see them running across the green when you're trying to putt. That's a gambled quail. They got that top, you know, that feather on top of their head. They're super cool looking. Uh, a lot of people call them ninjas because they're like, they're here now, they're gone. And they're over there and they're under that cactus and boom, boom, boom. And they, they like, they're just these little missiles and their last resort is to fly. So if you can get close to them and pin them and then get them to flush within range, that's an accomplishment. And then scaled quail as well. All three of those birds have their own cool factor about hunting them where you find them they're going to be uh, on the cat on the desert floor in those cactus country um, and so there's something cool about walking through the desert on a hunt mm -hmm. which is why when you come back from it you almost you can't like like it's just something special about it so if you're a bird hunter or a hunter and you're thinking i want to go on a on a winter getaway early spring break because the season ends mid-february um, that is something that definitely belongs on the list. I, I did do a story with a local from Minnesota who now lives down there. He runs a outfitter called border to border outfitters. Um, and so that is one of several quail hunting guides that you could hire to go down there. But he, interestingly enough, is from Minnesota. Um, he starts his hunting season up here uh, by the Canadian border and then hunts his way with clients of his mm -hmm. down to Arizona down there so that hence the name border to border uh it's it's just one of those cool cool getaways that definitely uh rank high on the list of things that I've done in my life I'm curious because I'm it's a world I'm not very familiar with but is the hunting community in Arizona is it similar to here is it as you know popular is there that robust community or is it more yeah, I think down there. I think the last couple of years of popularity has really exploded because it's become kind of this, like a Montezuma quail, a, a Mern's quail. It looks like from another, like it's from another planet. It has, it's a black head with these white swirls that wrap mm. around, and then on its chest, it, it's dotted polka dot white and black. It looks like a tuxedo in some instances. Mm. Like it's just this bird. You hold it, you're like, holy crap, where did you come from? Mm -hmm. And 
where they live. The fact that you can go down there and hunt by yourself. You know, we could get in a car and drive down there. It's a haul. I have a friend who's actually in New Mexico right now as we speak. He just hunted Kansas yesterday. He's in New Mexico on his way to Arizona, and he's making, like, this dream hunting trip happen. Um, so it's doable from anybody in the Midwest can go down and do it. And that's why it's become this popular winter getaway. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's as popular. Every state that I've ever hunted in, you have locals that hunt, Mm -hmm. you know, there's something primal about hunting that it doesn't matter where you live. People hunt. Yeah. Same with fishing. Exactly. Everywhere you go, every country, every part of the, you know, the U S yeah. Yep. Exactly. So you're in the mountains, you've got cactus around you, you're golden sunset in a t-shirt on February. And then, you know, like we cooked fajitas up over an open fire that we started up in the mountains. And, um, yeah, it's put it on your list. Cool. Brandon, put it high on your list. (laughs) (laughs) It's on the list. (laughs) I'm good. I was hoping you were going to bring some hunting ones. I did. I did. Good. I love it. The new year is here, and for many of you, that means new personal goals and maybe just maybe even a few house projects. If your furnace is on that list of projects to tackle, let Aquarius Home Services help you. Right now, they're offering $98 off any furnace repair. That's $98 off of any furnace repair. Their heating and cooling technicians are experts at troubleshooting and repairing any and all types of furnace-related issues. Start the new year off right and stay warm and cozy this winter season. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended, and I recommend them. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. Um, okay, I think I'm up. I'm going to save my last uh, tropical one for, for last. So something that I only have had a taste of myself but it's been on my bucket list for a long time. This is kind of going to be a wide category here. But, you know, I like muskies. Mm-hmm. And some of us up in the north forget that there's actually muskie fishing year-round or almost year-round, depending on what state you may be in. So southern-ish U.S. muskie fishing is next. Again, broad category. So, West Virginia? So, oh, yeah, West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, I'll say up front, I've never been to any of those places. Cave Run, Mm -hmm. Kentucky, has been on my bucket list for a long time. And I remember when I first started musky fishing and I learned that there's muskies in the, you know, quote unquote south to us. I'm like, oh, they've got to be, they got to be small. You know, we have, we've got the big muskies up here. And I was looking it up. I think the Kentucky state record, which was in Cave Run, 54 inches long. They're big fish. They're big. Yep, they have big ones down there. Trophy-sized fish. Some of those fisheries, a lot of reservoirs, uh, a lot of river systems, like Tennessee, for instance, river systems, and Cisco. I mean, Mm -hmm. very oily fish. You look at some of our biggest musky waters up here, talking tulipy, whitefish. um, That's what, you know, that's what makes these huge muskies. Mm -hmm. Well, down there, they they have a lot of different fish in the rivers, but they also, some of them are eating trout. There's not a more oily fish. Mm-hmm. Think about when you're cooking a trout, you know, like yeah. it is, 
it makes huge muskies. Yeah. yeah. So I was hoping you might piggyback. Have you have you done have you fished? So any? I have a friend that moved down to Nashville and okay. he fishes them down in Tennessee quite often. I went down there to fish stripers with him one time. Okay. So you can put you can do a musky striper yeah. trip down there in Nashville. Not only that, when you're done fishing, you can go out on the and see the scene down in Nashville. Like yeah. it's this wasn't on my list of things to do, but it's actually a really cool mm -hmm. thing. And it's a very inexpensive flight down there. Mm -hmm. There are guides down in Tennessee that you can hire to go do this on the river, but you can drive down. It's not an unrealistic drive to get to Nashville. Um, so yeah, there's certain times of the year when we went down, um, I'm trying to get back down to fish with him again soon. Uh, but there's fishing to be had all year long. There's generations, they call it on these river systems down there. And it, it affects the flow of the water when there's certain flows fishing can be just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And I try to remember when I striper fish with him, we had insane rains and I want to say it was, I think it was late winter, early spring. So I guess, yeah, maybe this could be like a spring yeah. break getaway kind of thing too. I highly recommend it. It's, you know, it's not far away. Yeah. It's not going to be sitting on, you know, long walks on a sandy beach, but it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. And so I will say I do, this isn't just a bucket list thing that I'm sharing. So my experience fishing kind of outside what we know of as musky fishing season where, where we are, which is going to be like summer, fall and early winter is actually in Illinois. So I lived oh. in Illinois for five years and that's actually when I started musky fishing. Of course, Illinois gets cold, gets winter, mm -hmm. lakes get locked up, but they don't have seasons down there. So as soon as ice out happens, uh, their musky lakes are open and one of my kind of special lakes, it's actually the lake that I caught my very first muskie ever on, and it's the lake that I caught my first kayak muskie on as well, so two separate occasions. Um, I hope I'm not blowing it up too much, but it's Spring Lake in Peoria-ish. It's like 30 mm. minutes outside Illinois, and it's a super shallow lake. It's actually fed by a, a river, and I think the deepest point's like 10 feet, but most of the lake is like three or four, maybe five feet deep. And it's just stacked with smaller to medium-sized muskies. And you can't fish it by probably, I mean, depending on the year, by like May or for sure June. It's just choked out um, by... So this is the time, early, yeah, early, early. Spring. Yeah. So when I first, when I lived there and then when I moved up back up here, I was like constantly texting people in Illinois. Like, hey, do you think ice is out? Is ice out yet? And basically How much ice as soon did they as get it there? Yeah, depends. But, you know, you can ice fish there. Yeah. So several inches. Um, but yeah, that lake has been, it's been fun. And it's like, it's shallow. You're there in the spring. I'm always using jerk baits. I think both, yeah, both muskies. Well, no, the first one I caught on a chatter bait, but spinner baits, there's a lot of like down trees and logs and, and docks and things like that. So it's very easy to fish, huh. to fish, even if you don't have, you know, any kind of technology with you. Um, and it's just stacked with muskies and there's not much around it's pretty much in the middle of like cornfields there are houses on the lake on one side um but it's a it's a nice little secret find so brandon peoria illinois put it on your list i know who'd have thought who'd right? have thunked it i know peoria illinois yeah. all right okay. putting that on my list but definitely okay. late march early april don't drive down there unless you're sure the ice is out but good muskies. you told me to do two you're lucky I know, that i did I more than two here okay I've only uh, got one more main one after this, but isn't it, I keep remembering places when we're chatting. I know. There's so I, many places to go. Yeah. So this I didn't even think about, but, um, and I would have to double check. I think the hunting season for 
Idaho also lasts into February. Don't quote me on it. Check the regulations. But I went out there, and this is not something I was thinking of, but now that we're like <laughs> something else that's really cool, um, you can quail hunt and chucker hunt out there, which is what I did. But we also, uh, the Snake River Canyon and the Snake River, there's also Hell's Canyon. And those are two iconic places to do that up and bird hunting up in the mountains, which is like, I obviously I do a lot of up and bird hunting. But we also went sturgeon fishing. And it's not like the sturgeon we have here, lake sturgeon. Uh -huh. There's a white sturgeon out there. They grow massive. Yeah, yeah. And so you have the opportunity if you go to a place like that. Like that, you could go out to uh, Hell's Canyon and do that just as its own trip. And yeah. I know a lot of people that have done it. But... Um, Did you do the whole, like, get in the water with them? No, because okay. it was pretty cold. Okay. It was, you know, it was January-ish. And yeah. um, I held the fish in the water. But, I mean... There's something about holding, you know, battling a fish yeah. of that caliber. And I didn't catch a monster. It, it was like, a, I think, an eight-footer. Mm -hmm. And then right after. Yeah, yeah it's super small. <laughs> that would be small for out there, it's though. It's crazy. Yeah, like, I know. The guy's like, all right, let's get him back out there. So then he cast his line back out. And a uh, guy caught a nine-footer right after that. And we had one other one prior to that that was a little one, a little Joey, we call them, the little tiny ones. But, um, Seven and a half, no, no big deal. No, it was, it was actually <laughs> okay. like one you'd catch in Minnesota. Okay. It was yeah. just almost, yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's something about that river, that canyon. It's, mm -hmm. it's so stunning out there. So you're driving these boats and these, and these massive boulders are on the side, and it's just like, holy cow. Mm -hmm. It's way different than anything we have around here. I mean, if you can get out onto rivers out in Western America, I mean, it is just like, you don't forget those kind of views. Yeah. It's so cool. Um, I That wasn't on my list here, but mm -hmm. I feel like it deserves to be on the list because of just like the true like hunting and fishing adventure that that can be had out there and, yeah. and like we talked about sitting on the beach and laugh about it but that's what i think a lot of people do mm -hmm. for one day they might say all right we're gonna go out on a charter boat for a day and yeah. then it's back to sightseeing with the family and kids and stuff but if you really want an adventure something like a hell's canyon trip mm -hmm. in idaho i think if i were to say in the lower 48 it's Idaho is probably the most underrated and most beautiful state that I've ever been to. So there you go. Um, while you're talking, it's just reminding me of a place that wasn't on my list, but uh, it's steelhead fishing in Washington. Ooh. So yeah, that, I, I want to do I went that too. Once and it was, um, it was March. Yeah, February, probably I think it was March a few years ago. Um, and I actually we had a we had a tough day fishing wise and I'll say it was still one of the coolest experiences of my life I think I, I know I drove I was in Seattle for work actually this is probably five six years ago and stayed an extra day and rented a car took a ferry drove out you know in the at probably five in the morning in the dark I was alone yeah. and met a guide I think we were either in Olympia National Forest or I drive drove through it um but just incredible country like I'll yeah. always remember this drive alone just out there and having like there was a full moon over you know white capped mountains behind me and in front of me the sun rising over you know these tall pine trees and I was just like this is cool and then once you're on the water you know on the, the streams and there was a ton of rain the week before so water was pretty muddy and moving pretty fast but that was fly fishing and it was just such a fun experience and especially that's one of the things like I you definitely you need to go with the guide especially if you're you know don't have somebody that that's going to take you out um, but I learned so much and just getting to see the, you know, scenery and 
Had a couple of shots at fish, but not I had much. a friend who did that recently. He drove from Minnesota out there. Mm-hmm. He just did his own research and made it happen. He, yeah. He had like a, it was his spring break getaway and he did it solo. It's awesome. Yeah, totally. You know, I was just thinking about this, like we've been really blessed to no experience kidding. so many things. Like we started like, oh, that reminds me of this. Yeah. Like if we both actually stopped for a minute, like God has blessed us immensely yes. to be able to experience some of these places. I don't want it to sound like, oh, I did this or that. Like, I'm just thinking about all these amazing things, you know, mm-hmm. and like how cool it would be to share that with other people, which mm-hmm. is why I think these are all sincere places yeah. that I would recommend to, to try. And I to had go. that exact moment when I was actually putting some notes together for this podcast. It was like, wow, there's been some amazing experiences. And yeah. why I'm blessed. Am I up then? Steelhead was less? Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's just keep it close to home. In a couple of weeks here, yeah, a couple, maybe like a month and a half or two, what, mid, mid-January, mid so February. What day yeah, I would it? say more like March-ish. Uh, Lake of the Woods is a fishery that has monster northern pike. And there's a window when they come up and they go into these, um, the bays, the shallow bays, and they, they prepare for the spawn. And the season lasts up there well beyond what it does here in the inland waters. And you can go up and target huge pike. Uh, put your tip-ups up. You know, you do cut bait. You can do suckers. Um, you know, some people use the, the cut uh, tulipy, frozen tulipy, things like that. Um, you can do a little research. There are likely going to be some of the, the walleye guides up there that will offer that experience. But you can also do it by yourself. It's not rocket science. It's big, massive flats out there, shallow water. And you can go up with your tip-ups, and you might catch 10 of the largest northern pike you've ever mm-hmm. seen in one day. How, what's your personal record up there? This isn't about me, Natalie. Yeah, but I got it. I uh, a 43-inch northern. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't catch it doing that either. I caught it fishing walleyes. Oh, really? Of, that's, I mean, that's always how it of, happens, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And actually, that's a trip that I'm going back on here in less than a month. That's the Ballard's uh, Due North yeah. trip that we do. Are there spots left? I don't know. There was four was spots full, right? left yeah. l- uh, two weeks ago, and I asked after the show. I said, I, we just talked about the, the Ballard's ice fishing mm-hmm. trip that we hosted. Is there spots left? Because I told people to go check it out, and they said there were four spots left. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that there might be a spot left. So or if you're interested, could be. Yeah, totally out. do it. Again, we, take a, we get on a bus here at Cabela's in Rogers, Minnesota. We drive up there. Everything is taken care of for you. You have a room. They take you out on the bombardiers, which is a cool experience. If you have a son or daughter and you just like, just the two of you want to get away for a couple of days, it's over President's Day weekend. So you have that extra day off for a lot of people. Go up there and ride in one of these machines across this massive lake. And you get out into the house, it's heated. You catch walleyes, sauger, perch. I caught a 43 inch northern monster fish. It was, uh, it's possible. Eel pout. Anyway, they, they bring you back in. They clean your fish. Meals are great. Uh, I obviously host it, so I feel like you have a nice host. <laughs> I give away some fishing stuff. Yeah, if you enjoy beverages, Coors Light sponsors it too. So it's, it's a great trip. A lot of repeat people, once they know that the trip is open again, they sign up right away. Um, but I think, you know, it's possible there could still be room for a couple more. Cool. Yep. Head to our website, doonorthoutdoors.tv, and there's a little tab that says Ice Fishing Trip to Ballards, and check it out and call, call and find out if there's any room.
we're hopping back on an airplane. Ooh. Flying south, and we're leaving the country for this one. I think you knew I was going to talk about this. I'm surprised we haven't left the country yet. Yeah. We're keeping it economical. Well, yeah. Right? I feel like, yeah. So we are going to Panama, which you knew I was going to talk about Panama, right? Well, tell this me is, more. Okay. I've taken two trips to Panama, and I feel like I several years ago, and I still milk them. It's like all my favorite fishing stories happened on really one of the two trips. So what my specific personal experience was kayak fishing in Panama at a place called Los Buzos Resort. It's on the Azuro Peninsula, which is the south side of Panama, so on the Pacific side, because it goes more or less east-west at that part, Um, in a town, kind of a town, really tiny town called Kambutal. So... What I've done is a kayak fishing trip there. And I'll say, I'm going to speak from my own experience, but there's places even in Kambutal, there's other kayak fishing outfitters, really all along that coast around Panama, Costa Rica, there is so much opportunity to fish out of kayaks, uh, you know, out of boats, you name it. So if it's something that you're interested in, know that there's a lot of options, a lot of different ways to do it you're interested in the kayak thing, if you're bringing the family, whatever, there's opportunities. But the fishing there is pretty insane. And it's insane how many fish and what type of species that you can fish for actually very close to shore there, which is one of the main draws. So when I went out of Los Buzos, it was several years ago, uh, flew into Panama City, which in itself, we're talking about adventure, is such such a cool city to see. It's definitely a you know world melting pot because of the canal there. And I'd recommend if you are doing a trip like this to spend a couple of days in Panama City. My first trip there, I just had a day there and I was alone, so I didn't venture out too far from my hotel. But I was able to go back the next year and, and see more of the city. The first time I went solo, um, but then I met. There's a I didn't know anybody, but there was a group going to Los Buzos. They have like these week long groups, so. We, on my second day there, got picked up by a bus in Panama City and, uh, yeah, went to the resort, which is maybe three hours away. And I'll say by resort, don't get the wrong idea. It's pretty, I think it's, I think it's changed a lot since I've been there. In fact, there was a couple that I got really close to there that used to kind of run operations and then, you know, some of the guides and stuff that aren't there anymore. But, so I don't know how much has changed. I think they've expanded a lot made updates and things, but when I was there, it was pretty bare bones. So we're talking yeah. like bunk beds, you know, shared bathrooms. There's some creepy crawlies. You got to check things for, you know, scorpions. And it's, it's, don't get the wrong idea by resort. It's, yeah. it's pretty simple, but that's what makes it, you know, more accessible to, you know, people like myself and others that, you know, you're not paying for the, the fanciest place and you don't, you don't need it. And again, I think that they've made some changes, but the fishing there is like nothing I've experienced before. When you're going there, the main ones that you're looking for, uh, kind of those bucket list fish, rooster fish, kubera Sweet. snapper. Um, there's groupers, yellowfin tuna, sailfish, marlin. I don't have a personal story about that, but I'll share one in a second. Uh, tons of like Jack Creval, which people Jack down fish? there. Uh, What'd yeah, you call it? Jack Creval. Okay. They're like a big, ugly, common you know, saltwater fish that like most people, any like saltwater angler would be like, oh, they're kind of, they're kind of like how some people might feel about a smaller northern pike around here. Hammer handle. Yeah. Snot rocket. But they, again, saltwater fish, they're so much fun. You catch a bunch of them. There's mahi-mahi, 
Sierra Mackerel, mm. um, tons of snappers. So my favorite experience in fishing ever happened here, and this was with a rooster fish. Now, if you're not familiar with the rooster fish, they're just just cool looking. They're they kind are. of, depending on the size, they're kind of like a black and white stripe situation, a little green. They get as many fish, you know, once they get bigger, their coloring is less distinct. But what they're really known for is this crazy mohawk crown. Mm -hmm. So they've got the this... Uh, I don't know, thing coming out of their head that looks kind of like a, a, a crown or a mohawk. mohawk By the way, a mohawk a is mohawk. a good way yeah. to describe it. I pulled it's it up so not, Brandon can see. You've seen these the before. And the little ones are yeah, the cutest cool. fish in the world. Yeah. But they are not only just incredibly beautiful, but they are so powerful. And there weren't many caught. when I, So when I went, it was in January. But really the fishing kind of heats up throughout this time of year. A lot of people would recommend actually going more in the late spring, early summer, but I was there during dry season. So meant it was warm and sunny, but it was very, very windy. So it made the fishing hard. There was only a couple rooster fish caught when I was there. It was like an unusually slow week, but I was lucky enough to, to hook up to a huge one, trophy size. And you're in a kayak? In a kayak. How much, yeah. how far does it pull you? It was the most epic fight, of course, I've ever experienced. Yeah. And I'll say some of the the, you know, people there were saying that it was one of the most memorable fish catches that they've seen. <laughs> so this fish, there's actually, there's a video kind about of dramatic, it. Kind dramatic, so I could see that. Honestly, being, yeah. there's, a, there's a video about it on my YouTube channel that I think it's like my pride and joy. But here, mostly we're fishing with uh, artificial lures, like jigs and stuff. But with rooster fish, it's pretty much all going to be live bait. So I had a moon fish on. And, you know, starts tick, 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 tick. And I'm like, oh. I think I might have some kind of fish. We'll see. And so I, you know, I think I have a nibble. Set the, set the, a little nibble. Yeah. <laughs> set the lever. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of starting to move. I think, I think I might be onto something. And within, I'd have to go back and like look at the footage, but within, you know, 15, 20 seconds, the fish realized it was hooked. And I went on an absolute sleigh ride, like cruising. The guys, you know, watching from afar were joking I could have pulled a water skier. And um, there was, of course, you know, waves breaking on these rocks right see in front how, of me. Brandon, see how dramatic she is. She titles the video, The Fish That Nearly Killed Me. That's YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at it, it right now. It actually did. So they actually, they, also, the guys had dash, to... dash, epic. Epic. Ocean kayak fishing. <laughs> I'll Great spare you title. the entire story, but the guys actually in the, the kind of the help boat, the ponga, yeah. they had to drive between me and the rocks to scare the fish away because it almost dragged me into these rocks that would have, you know, destroyed my kayak and probably really? my myself. So uh, crazy fight, beautiful fish, most memorable experience of my life. But there's, you know, we had opportunities to go out after sailfish. Uh, we didn't catch in on our trip, but this guy, Adam Fisk, if you look him up on uh, social media, he's one of the the guides down there. He's caught multiple marlin now out of his kayak. And they'll drag. I mean, I think uh, we're talking like. I'm playing the video. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh, I got to go back and watch that. That's drama for you. Yeah. Holy cow. So. Um, I'm hooked. But this, this Adam Fisk guy is unbelievable. You'll see. I mean, he gets he's gotten dragged. Uh, Again, don't quote me, but I want to say like 20 plus miles out into the ocean That's and landed fish. So it's a crazy experience. Um, and it's one of those places too. It's like every single day you're wiped out. It's so, so, so much physical work. But you get in, you pull up onto the beach. 
They've got some light Panamanian beers that mm-hmm. are going to be, mm-hmm. you know, handy for you. And, you know, fresh fish every single day. Lots of sashimi. Beautiful. You're really in paradise. So if you can plan ahead, do a trip like that. Again, Panama, Costa Rica on the Pacific side. The amount of fish and how close they are to shore is pretty See, I like See, I like that kind of a fishing trip in one of those destinations. Cause a lot of times you get these charter boats and then yeah. they go out seven days a week and they're so used to getting, you know, a family or a group of four and they just want to go out and they drag a lure behind the boat and you reel them in on this, basically a pool yeah. cue rod. And it's like, you press a button and it reels it in for you yeah. while the boat is driving. Like see what you did there. That's a real, like, Holy cow. It was unbelievable. I mean, that fish Felt almost like killed that. her, Brandon. Almost killed me. Nearly killed. Nearly. Epic. Kill. Yes. Epic. Um, but seriously, and that, like, I didn't exaggerate it. And that's, yeah. it's an epic thing that it's like, you can, it's, if I would have showed up in Panama myself, which then I did the next year with, with a friend, um, but I wouldn't have known how to, you know, target any of yeah. those fish, but they give you enough, you know, the, you the right lure, they it. put you in the right spot. But that's you what I want to do. I like those kind of trips, if there's a guide involved, I still want to do it. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can get me there. Tell me some information, yeah. but like, I want to be the one to react. I don't want you to set the hook for me. I don't yeah. want you to reel it in for me. I don't want you to do any of it, really. I, that's part of the thrill of a hunt or a catch is what it takes to get there. Yeah. That's why I like those kind of trips. I remember the first time I caught, I think it was, we were actually fishing for bait and I caught, caught a bonito. Yeah. And it's like, it looks like a tuna. Bonito like, would be a boy. Bonita would be Bonita, a Bonita, yes. Yeah. Not Bonita. Um, I remember, like, got to the side of my kayak, and I had this moment of, like, uh-oh. <laughs> like, what, what do I do now? I'm like, are there sharks around? Am I just reach in and grab this? And they're like, yeah, just grab it and, you know, hook it up. Like, rig it up and throw it back out there as bait. I'm talking, like, an 18-inch powerful fish. I'm like, this is my bait? <laughs> like, yeah. like, I want to, do I need to sign a waiver here? Um, but cool trip. So one to, like one to plan for. Sounds like one that's going to go pretty high on Brandon's list. Should we end it with that? That's a pretty good one. I think we're at. about at an hour. Yeah. We are Any just... Any quick honorable mentions? Any we want to rifle off there that people look mm. into? I mean, I, there's I, um, an airboat, alligator, mm, yeah. sightseeing. Like I, I filmed this alligator hunt one time down in Florida, and that in itself is like a whole different podcast. Mm-hmm. But... Just to be there in that place, like, it's wild in certain parts of Florida. Mm-hmm. You, they call it their wilderness, and you're like, holy cow, there's not a, there's not a house for, like, yeah. 20 miles where we ended up. But we were way back. You could see how people can disappear mm-hmm. <laughs> in this world no and never kidding. be found when you go back into some of those places. So, yeah. yeah, being on an airboat and driving through those parts, whether you're hunting, fishing or not, just just the experience. Pretty cool. All right. Moment of truth. Uh, I'll be honest with you. A bunch of them sound like a lot of fun to me. I'm partial to Washington. I think it's one of the most beautiful areas to go. But, <laughs> Victory. but Travis, before you get completely upset, yeah. well, actually, I went with Panama. So one two punch. Yeah, like it's number one, two, three, four, four point one, four point two, four point three. Like that, your four parter, whatever. No, uh, Nevada actually sounded really appealing to me, too. Um, yeah. That part of Nevada is also very gorgeous. It's a cool part of the country. You don't actually see that much. Most people just drive mm-hmm. south of that area or just drive completely through it. So that's another really cool spot as well. So a great list by both. Thank yeah. you. Well, we certainly hope that those listening at home found something that might be enticing, inspirational. It's yeah. time left to plan something this year. Plan ahead for future years. There's and a if lot of adventure to be had. Yeah, and if you're stuck here at home like I am, well, I'm not even going to say stuck. If get you're here, 
get outside. Yeah. Get that vitamin D. Yes. Love it. Mm-hmm. That's it for now? Yep. We'll be back Thanks next week with another episode of the Do North Outdoors podcast. Mm-hmm.